Good afternoon, Servants Church. Good afternoon to all of you in person. It's a blessing to have you. Good afternoon to you down the camera on the live stream. Whether you're here uh, or joining us right now, or whether you're watching later in the week, we are blessed to have you uh, and to have you tune in. Awesome. So I get to introduce to you uh, uh, online as well as you in person uh, to Lauren Combs, who uh, we've known since we've, uh, I think since we've moved to England, our family. And it was funny because we didn't meet Lauren until uh, we moved to England and come to find out that he and my wife, Sarah, went to the same high school. Just kind of a trivia, a bit of trivia for you. Nobody really cares but us, but hey, it's trivia for you. Um, but uh, he was uh, faithful. He's been faithful as a minister here, a pastor here, involved in outreach and church planting here in, in Great Britain. And now with his family, he lives in Cyprus and is doing some phenomenal ministries. Anyway, just give a warm welcome to Lauren Combs. Okay, good afternoon, good to see you, and welcome to you that are joining us online, whenever that may be. Uh, if you could turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12, please, I'm going to do the same. And yes, it's a great privilege for me to be able to minister at this present time in Cyprus. There's a lot going on. Um, Cyprus, although a small island, is strategically located in between the Western world and the Eastern world, and it really, because it's split north and south with the Turkish-occupied north and the southern uh, uh, Greek Orthodox side, uh, you know, many people from many different nations uh, cross that little island, and we've had great opportunity to uh, minister to people from all over the place. I, I'd love to tell you the stories, but some other time. <laughs> so, um, this passage here, in Luke, um, this portion uh, is considering the second coming of Jesus. And um, William Graham Scroge, who lived many years ago, uh, commenting on this, this passage and, and asking a question that really was a, a challenge to myself, and I thought I needed to uh, pass the, 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 the challenge on uh, he writes here, he says, Now let me ask, if you had known that Christ would come tomorrow morning, would you have lived the last week as you have done? You do not know that he will not come tomorrow. And that, that was a searching question for myself to consider how I'm living my life, what I'm doing. And of course, a, a searching question really for anyone uh, that hears that. And so this passage uh, relating to the second coming of Jesus. And, you know, evangelical Christians have varying beliefs on the specific events surrounding the second coming of Jesus. But all of them agree that Jesus is coming back. And so this, this evening, this afternoon, uh, we're not considering the specifics. That's not really what this passage is about. But the reality is, is that Jesus is going to return. That's the reality. And that's what Jesus speaks on here. And so let's begin in uh, verse 35. Jesus teaching, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast 
so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and find them, finds them awake, blessed or blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And so here Jesus uses two parables or, or illustrations, both conveying a sense of urgency, a sense of, of the need for preparedness, yep, that people will be ready for his return, his second coming. And he, he commands his hearers to be like servants that are ready for their master's return. In the ESV, it says, stay dressed for action. Uh, New King James or, or King James Version says, gird up your lo loins, because in those days, of course, men were long robes, and uh, what he's talking about is that they would take those robes and they would pull them up and they would gird them in their belt, tuck them into their belt so they could be ready to run or ready to freely move to work. And so he's saying, you know, be in a position of being ready, yeah? And to have their lamps burning, which is also, it's speaking of attentiveness, of keeping awake, alert, being watchful. And he speaks about being watchful throughout these different watches of the night in the early morning hours. And some have suggested that Luke is using a Roman time frame. Others are saying he's using a Jewish time frame. And it really doesn't matter because he's talking about being ready in the early hours of the morning or in the late hours of the night when most people would be sleeping, when they wouldn't be attentive, they wouldn't be ready. And so the exhortation here is that they would be ready, they would be expectant of their master's return, that the lamps would be burning, that they'd be prepared to, to unbolt that door and let their master in whenever he may return. And he says, blessed, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. And that word blessed, we use that often, but what, what does it mean? It means to be, to be happy in one's self, to be uh, enjoying your circumstances, to be contented, to be experiencing true enjoyment in where you are, whatever circumstances, and in what lies ahead, Yep, it's being blessed and, and experiencing it, knowing it in experience. And so Jesus, this is his perspective, his estimation of things here. This is what he says, that such blessing, that contentedness, being at peace, being, you know, at, at rest in that, in that sense, that such blessing is promised to those who are attentive to their duties, 
keeping awake and expectant of their master's return. And he, he explains here a portion of what that blessing is. Yep. He says, if the master finds his servants so ready, as he describes here, if they're ready for him, that when they unbolt that door, instead of what would normally take place, they would unbolt the door and then they would serve their master. Instead of that, that the master would gird himself to be the servant and he would serve them. Yep. And this is a promise. God himself is promising to serve and give his servants rest and refreshment as a blessing to them for being attentive to his coming, keeping awake, being expectant of his soon return. And as I was studying this, I found it fascinating that Jesus, that he, he prefaces this promise with this. He says, truly, I say to you, I say to you, who's saying this? It's, it's no one less than Jesus, who is God, taking upon himself humanity. God is saying this. And he says, I tell you the truth. And we don't expect Jesus to be lying. That's not what he does. But he's reinforcing something here. He wants us to understand that what he is saying is the truth. It's absolutely certain that God who cannot lie, does not lie, will accomplish the promise of blessing with certainty. This will happen. That there is reward. That there are, is blessing for those who are expectant for his coming and are prepared upon his arrival. That God will serve his servants with rest and refreshment that only he can provide. The only source that can provide this kind of rest and refreshment. And the way he says it here, he's making it very clear that this is sure, this is certain, because God has promised it. And so it will be. He also, he highlights the unknown timing of his return by comparing it to the unexpected timing of a burglary. And Jesus does this a few times in the scriptures. Where we know that if, if we knew when the burglar would come to our house, we would be there. In America, you would be there with your gun. Yeah? So, the burglar doesn't let us know when he's coming. And Jesus compares his return to that. That it comes unexpectedly as that thief that is coming in the night. And so, this is to cause his servants to be diligent, to be ready for his return at all times, even in those times when we think that maybe we shouldn't be. That we will be prepared in every circumstance, every season, whether the season is difficult or enjoyable or, or just routine, that we would still be expectant prepared for his return. 
also, it's very important for us to note that as Jesus is speaking here, Jesus is yet to go to the cross. His death hasn't happened yet. His resurrection hasn't happened. Before those things happen, he's already speaking with absolute assurance and certainty that he's coming back. Even though his first coming is not yet finished, he states that he's coming again. And so for Jesus, there was no question in his mind whether he would not win the victory over sin and Satan on the cross. There was no doubt in his mind whether or not he would defeat death by rising again from the grave, paving for anyone who comes to him for forgiveness of sin to be restored in right relationship with God, having eternal life. Jesus was certain of his victory, absolutely. And in these words, he speaks with absolute confidence of his coming again, his second coming. The Bible is very, very clear. Jesus is coming back. He is. It is certain, just as certain as he came the first time. And you know, anyone who's honest has to say, historically, Jesus came. He lived. Even the atheists have to say, Jesus was here. He came. He changed the world. Well, you know, he's coming back again, and he's going to change it again. He's going to set up his kingdom here on the earth. And so, his second coming is assured. And he's bringing blessing to those who are looking forward to his return. In the meantime, as we wait, our duty is to be ready, to be attentive to the duties and the responsibilities, the callings as his servants that he has given us while expecting his return. There's activity in our waiting as we're watching with anticipation his long-awaited return. Because it's going to come quick, like a thief in the night, it comes. Instead of living like life is all that there is here in this life, that we would be living with the reality that there is a kingdom coming, God's kingdom, that the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus, is going to establish, and that we should be seeking to invest in that kingdom and looking forward to that kingdom because that's where the real investment should lie. You know, if I took the time right now to invest in a lot of German Deutschmarks, people would think I was really strange. And they should, because it's a defunct currency, isn't it? The euro cast it aside. Well, you know what, in a sense, this life, the things of this life, the material things of this life are a defunct currency. They're not, their value is not going to last. And so we're to seek to invest in that which is eternal, that which is going to last forever. Now, 
Luke makes it clear that, that Jesus was speaking to his disciples. He says that in verse 22. But among this crowd that is gathered there, um, there were those that more than just his disciples. There would have been the curious. There would have been the unbelieving. There would have been those that were opposed to Jesus right there in that crowd. And so Peter, the, he's looking around, and he wonders who Jesus is talking to precisely. So, verse 41. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? Jesus doesn't really answer his question, but the Lord says, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is the servant who his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. In Jesus' previous parables, he spoke of the, the, the servants, those bond servants, who are to be at the ready for their master's return whenever he returned. In this illustration, Jesus uses the example of a steward, or we could use the term manager. Uh, these stewards were often slaves or bond slaves who had been entrusted with greater responsibility over their master's possessions and their household, kind of just managing, managing their uh, master's affairs. In this case, Jesus specifically describes how this steward has been given the responsibility to look after and to provide food for the master's household, including the other servants, while the master is away. Once again, Jesus promises blessing for those who are found faithful to fulfill their calling when the master returns. Once again, it's blessing promised by God. If God promises the blessing, it's going to fall upon those whom he says are going to be blessed. Yeah? And Jesus says that, that one aspect of that blessing will be that those who are found faithful stewards of what they have been entrusted with will be set over more afterwards. They will be blessed by being uh, given more to steward over and the honor that comes with that stewardship. Given that upon the master's return. And this promise of blessing, like the one in verse 37, is accompanied with these words of certainty, these words of reassurance, truly I say to you, I tell you the truth. There is certainty in the blessing. Sometimes we don't believe that we're going to be blessed for living our lives for Jesus, living our lives for God. Sometimes we, we, we doubt and we wonder and we don't really believe that there is blessing coming. But God promises that there is. He is a blessing God. And he will do it. Yeah. It's a guarantee from him that he will bless, that he will honor his faithful stewards with greater responsibility in the kingdom that he establishes upon his return. He will do that. 
And this stewardship that, that God has given us in this life is opportunity for us to, once again, invest in the next, in whatever stewardship he wants to give us in that kingdom, that we would be truly storing up treasures in heaven. So blessing coming to the, the faithful stewards. Now Jesus, he, he contrasts the faithful steward who gets his reward and promotion with that of an unfaithful steward in verse 45. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour he does not know. And he will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will de be demanded the more. This second steward is lax. And he's complacent in regards to his stewardship. The seemingly long delay of the master lulls this steward into a false sense of independence in which he begins to take advantage of the other servants, neglect his duties, squander his master's resources upon himself. He's eating to fulfill what he wants. He's getting drunk on his master's wine. He's living as though the master who owns everything that he's squandering does not exist and will not return. Okay, I believe that this second steward is a reminder that everyone, everyone here, everyone listening, everyone who has lived and will yet live, that they have been given a stewardship before God. Whether they recognize that or not, whether they believe in God or don't believe in God. You see, everyone's breath of life that very breath is a gift from God, which he's entrusted to each one of us to steward over until he determines that the time is up. And the possessions people are allowed to have, the opportunities that they have been given, the natural talents that they may possess. If they're rich, yes, they may have worked hard. But God has allowed them the opportunity and the ability to get rich. If they're famous, it's the same. God has allowed that for them. Whether they have squandered it on themselves or sought to use it for the glory of God, yeah, which many don't. <laughs> yeah. The exposure that they have had to the truth of the gospel you know, the Christian witness that they may have experienced or seen, whether from afar or, or near, all of it has been given by the gracious hand of God. 
And he's going to hold everybody accountable for what they have done with the stewardship of their lives, their life and everything that it contains. The harshness of the punishment here, I mean, it's pretty harsh. Cut in pieces, other translation says severely scourged. And then the steward is, he's put with the unfaithful. It shows us that this steward, unlike the first steward, that this steward did not know the master. He doesn't show any fruit of knowing the master. Oh, he's, he's indulged in the master's goods, his things, what God has allowed him to have. But he has lived as though the master does not exist and is never going to return. That's how most people are living, right? God doesn't exist, and he's not concerned, and he's not coming back. This person lives, this steward lives as an unbeliever because that's what he is. He's taking advantage of others, even to the point of beating them. He's a glutton, he's a drunkard, he's, he's selfish, he's consumed with himself, his own fleshly desires. And Jesus warns here, Jesus warns that the unbelieving will be held accountable for their stewardship of what God has entrusted to them whether it seems to be a little bit or a great amount. They'll be held accountable. And most importantly, they'll be held accountable for what they knew of Jesus, what they knew of the master's goodness, what they knew of the truth of the fact that, that he desires that they too would seek forgiveness in him and be made right again with God. The stewardship of the truth of the gospel that they, they have you know, either heard and rejected or ignored or whatever, they will be held accountable for that. The more that they have, the more that they'll be responsible for. In Revelation chapter 20, there's a, a, a sobering account there. It's, it's called the great white throne judgment. And it's speaking about when all the unbelievers are going to be resurrected from the dead and that books are opened. And in those books, they are judged according to what they have done. And it says that twice, that they are judged according to what they had done. So every deed and thought and selfish act the things that they have squandered on themselves, they're held responsible for that. That's a sobering thing. Because just as assuredly as Jesus came the first time, Jesus is coming back. And after he comes back, this event will take place. The books will be opened and people will be judged for what they have done. They will be held accountable for what they have done with their lives and all the things that God has allowed them to have and to do. It is certain. The day is set. I don't know when it is, but God does. And so that is the unbelieving servant. What about those of us who know the master? 
and the stewardship that we have been entrusted with. Well, Jesus' return is approaching. It's drawing closer and closer and closer with each and every passing day. I know it doesn't feel like it sometimes, but it is. Closer today than yesterday. And there is much to be done in the meantime. There are stewardships for each and every one of us which are to be fulfilled. Your stewardship is not mine. Mine is not yours. God has tailored a unique one for each of us. Each of us have been entrusted with roles, different roles, responsibilities, looking after other people, whether that's physical family members or church family members or people in our community, our workplace, our schools. We've been entrusted with a stewardship, a responsibility to live out our lives before others as a follower of Jesus and one who shares about him with others. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. To be saved, to be forgiven of our sins, to be brought back in right relationship with God, that's all of God's grace. It's the grace of God. We cannot earn it. There's nothing we can do. We can just accept it as a gift. And so we're saved by grace, and then also by God's grace, we are his workmanship, Paul says. And that word workmanship is poema in the Greek. It means uh, it can be artwork, or we get our English word poem from that. And so we are our God's artwork. We're his, his poem that... He has created in order to glorify God as he has set before us good works in our stewardship that we would walk in them and fulfill them and glorify God in the process. What those good works are, they can be a variety of things. It may just be checking in on your neighbor next door and letting them know that God loves them. It could be all sorts of things. God has laid before each and every one of us good works to glorify him in a very dark and distressing world. Very distressing these days, yeah? Every day is a gift to live for him because we do not know, we do not know, for whatever reason, if we have tomorrow. And God has given us, he's given us possessions, talents, spiritual gifts, finances, circumstances, and opportunities that we are to be using for the blessing of others and the glory of God until we're ushered into eternity, until the master returns. And in this stewardship, we've been entrusted with one of the most important messages to share with others the good news of the gospel of grace. 
The gospel which Paul says is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel that lets us know the bad news that we are sinners. We have fallen from God's holiness. We are unholy creatures. We have done wrong. And there's a consequence to that separation from God in this life and then for eternity. But God is gracious. He is loving. And so he sent his son. Jesus, God came, took upon himself humanity, became the babe in the manger, lived a sinless life, and gave that sinless life on the cross, paying the penalty for your sin and mine so that we could be forgiven and made right with God. And Jesus rising again from the grave, proving his victory over sin and death. So we've been given this message, the gospel, which God, God has entrusted us with. Jesus commissioned us in Matthew 28 and a few other places to take this message and to share it. To share it among every people, every tribe, tongue, and nation. We've been given the privilege to be able to share the good news of the gospel. The only thing that we can share with somebody else that they too can go to heaven. That's powerful. To change someone's eternal destiny. You and I have all been given the stewardship of the message. May he use us to share as he leads us. That we would invite others. Because there's so many who have yet to hear they still haven't heard. So many who have yet to respond. Time is ticking. Time is ticking. I shared this morning about our missionary in Nepal, Karna. COVID is very, it's very bad everywhere, but it's very bad in Nepal right now. And so Karna, by, by God's grace, he, he has rounded up about seven or eight oxygen tanks. And it takes him several hours to take it to the place where he, he gets them refilled. And he goes to the mountains where people are dying. They're dying because they cannot breathe. And so he's going and he's giving them the oxygen, a breath of life. But he's also taking them the gospel message and sharing the gospel with them so that they can have eternal life. That's great stewardship. Because people, they're, they're, everyone around us literally is gasping for air in a spiritual sense. They need the gospel. It's the only way to get that life, the only message that can bring that life. Paul writes in another one of his letters in 2 Corinthians 5.20, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You and I as Christians, it means to be a Christ follower, that we are to be Jesus people, ambassadors of Jesus wherever we go. And we have opportunity. We have opportunity to appeal with people, to plead with them. That's God's heart here. It's appealing. It's pleading that they would accept the offer of forgiveness, that they too can come into a right relationship with God. Our duty for our stewardship 
is to be faithful, to be wise with all that we have been entrusted with, that we would take that unfaithful steward's example as a warning not to grow complacent because of the seeming delay of Jesus' return, to not succumb to worldly temptations, but to be about our master's business because he's coming. He is coming. And you know, we live as Christians, we live our lives for an audience of one. And that one is God alone. Yep. And he will reward us accordingly. Yep. We live for him. We perform for him in his glory. Now, Jesus, he warns, he warns that there are consequences for seeking to fulfill our stewardship faithfully in a world that is opposed to him. We see this in verse 49. Jesus says, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I've come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. That there's a consequence to the gospel going forth. People respond (laughs) negatively, I'm sure you know, at times, to God's gracious offer of forgiveness. Yeah. And here Jesus, he, he speaks of his own personal baptism of suffering that, that he would experience in order to save us from our sins. A baptism of suffering really highlighted there in, he was acquainted with suffering all of his life, but really highlighted there in Gethsemane all the way to the cross, which included being forsaken, being betrayed by his closest of companions, these men that he loved dearly with all of his heart. The truth of the gospel, it, brings, it, brings, it, it does bring division, like a fire. You know, if you've ever seen uh, where a fire has raged, it's very clear where the fire has been and where it hasn't been, where it's burnt up and where it hasn't burnt up. And, it, you know, it, it causes that dividing line. And as we seek to live for the master and share the gospel of salvation, we will experience suffering and opposition. Paul would write to Timothy, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All, not some or those people, all of us will suffer to some degree. And unfortunately, there will be those who divide with us, even perhaps among our closest loved ones, within our own families, within our own families. Jesus, he warns us to let us know, to be prepared, to not be surprised, 
He said to his disciples in John's gospel, he said, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. To be rejected and experience opposition for Christ's sake, even from those whom we may love the very most, can be very painful. Very painful. Be heartbreaking to experience such division. It can be discouraging, to say the least. But you know, our Savior, Jesus, He knows. He knows our pain firsthand. He knows betrayal. He knows rejection from those whom He loved with a greater love than ours. He understood and experienced persecution to the highest degree. And he sympathizes. He cares. He really does. And that's one reason why he warns. He tries to prepare us. But our call is to continue to fulfill our stewardship. To continue to love those who oppose us. Praying that one day they too will accept the invitation of the gospel of grace. To keep fulfilling our stewardship knowing that there is reward coming in the end. There's a gentleman who uh, attends our, our, our church from a certain country, since this is online. Um, and because it's a, it's a communistic, atheistic country, um, because of that, when he accepted Christ... He was greatly persecuted by his family members. His own mother and father just degrading him and treating him horribly for year upon year upon year. But by God's grace, God helped him just to love in return. And I can say now that his, his parents are now loving Jesus in a part of a fellowship in that country, and they're doing well. God knows. He cares. And he has his ways of drawing people in. Well, it's not over (laughs) until it's really over. Yeah? So we don't give up until it's really done. Yeah? Jesus turns his attention now to the crowds, which it seems... Uh, were, were mainly comprised of unbelievers. Look at verse 54. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time. Jesus is rebuking this crowd for not recognizing the time that they were in. What time were they in? Well, they were in the time of the Messiah that had been prophesied all throughout the Old Testament of his return. He was there. It was obvious. He says, well, you can determine, you know, by seeing the the cloud or feeling the wind, you, you can determine the weather. But you can't determine the time that you're in, even though there he is. The Messiah was with them, and he was 
very evidently the Messiah. It was clear by his teaching, his miracles, the blind having their sight returned, the deaf hearing, the demon-possessed being set free, the dead being raised to life. But many of the people still did not believe. And Jesus calls them out. And because of their continued unbelief, Jesus issues them a warning. Verse 57. And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. Jesus uses this illustration to warn that there is judgment coming. Time is running out for them to be reconciled, that they should avail themselves of the opportunity that they have now before it is too late. There was still time, and he likens that to a man who's on the road, actually on the way to court, seeking to make amends with the one he's offended along the way. To get it done before they get there, so it will be over, it will be dealt with. So that forgiveness could be received. There's an urgency in the text. Our text began with urgency, Stay dressed for action. Gird up your loins. It closes with urgency. Make an effort. <laughs> Make an effort. Be earnest about this. The time of Jesus' return is approaching. As we look at the world scene, I mean, we can see things being put in place, in, in motion, that sort of thing. I'm, I'm not claiming dates or anything like that. It's just, things are closer than they were last year, and it's evident. Yeah. And we have been entrusted with a stewardship that is uniquely tailored to each one of us by God. And so let us stay awake, that we wouldn't be lulled asleep or distracted. There's so, there's so many Christians that are distracted about so many things right now. Falling out one, uh, over things that they shouldn't be falling out over. Whether or not you're getting vaccinated or not. Yeah? People need to hear the gospel. They need to hear the gospel. Those people are dying. They need to be inoculated against eternal death. So let us do that. Let us do that. Yeah, wherever you fall on the, on the vaccination thing. Yeah? Let us be sharing the gospel. Let us be sharing the gospel. And back to that question, that, that question that, that Graham Scrobey wrote so many years ago. Now let me ask you, if you had known that Christ would come tomorrow morning, would you have lived this last week as you have done? You do not know that he will not come tomorrow. And so let us seek to live out our, our different aspects of our stewardship for the blessing of others and the glory of God. And that we would be sharing the gospel, sharing the gospel with those who need to hear. Because once again, time is ticking. My time's ticking, yours is ticking, theirs is ticking. The clock is going. 
Amen? So let's be awake. Let's be awake and about the master's business. Father, thank you so much for sending Jesus. Not just to warn us or, or, or to even prepare us, but to provide for us that way, Lord, to be cleansed, to be refined, to be able to say, we choose to be holy. Lord, you set us apart as holy. We can then choose to walk in holiness. Thank you, Lord. Help us to do that. Lord Jesus, we remember your broken body for us, your spilled blood for us. We look forward to your soon return. We thank you for what you've done for us. And we commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.